You can forget a lot of things, Foster Care Nation, but never forget this. You're listening to Unparalleled Studios. I signal. Foster Care Nation, listen up. This is Foster Care and Unparalleled Terminator. Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. Hello and welcome back to Foster Care Nation with Jason. And Amanda. <laughs> today brain we, fart. <laughs> <laughs> well, it happens. Today we have uh, Shannon Ketchum, the author of Embrace Bravery. Embrace Bravery. Oh, my goodness. English is leaving me. I do this too much. The <laughs> author of Embrace Bravery with us. How are you doing today, uh, Shannon? I'm doing well, thank you. Well, we are busy trying to figure out how to do this with a, a little bit of an unhappy baby here who's a little bit hungry and a little bit sleepy. So if you guys hear some extra baby noise, sorry, but we just leave the baby noise in for the most part because she's cute and we like her. So you guys have to deal with it. Um, Shannon, I came across your story and I just couldn't help but think we needed to talk to you because your story was was really compelling. We, we talked to a lot of people about foster care, about adoption, what brings us into those roles. And your story has some real similarities to a lot of them. Infertility is a big thing in this in this whole um, area of life because so many people deal with it. And Amanda and I dealt with it to some very small extent a long, long time ago when our little bitty guy, who's now like six foot five, he's not so little bitty anymore. When he was born, um, she was unable to have any more kids after that. They had to do an emergency surgery to to protect her life and some other things going on there. And we were no longer able to have children, like, surgically. So we knew that we were done having kids. Turns out we were done, like, making babies. But we weren't done having kids, apparently. So <laughs> that was kind of our, <laughs> our in, interaction with infertility. I know yours is completely different. Can you tell us kind of who you are and, and what that looks like and how that's changed your life? Sure. Um, so I've been married now for um, 18 years. And, um, pretty much right after I got married, um, I was having some major pain issues whenever we would have intimacy. Um, so we knew something was wrong. Um, didn't know what was going on. So, um, we decided to wait a little bit, keep working at it, see if it got better. Um, so we waited about a year and after a year decided to, um, go see us see a doctor about it. And, um, so they did ultrasound, found out I had endometriosis, um, which, um, basically it gets this lining over your uterus and causes a lot of pain and a lot of issues, um, trying to have children. And, um, and so we scheduled a laparoscopy, um, to kind of clear that up to help with that. Um, and it's, it's kind of like a temporary procedure. It doesn't, usually solve it forever, but it gives you a little bit of relief for a little while. Um, and if you get pregnant, then, then your issues pretty much go away. Um, I don't know if it's forever, but for quite a long time. Um, and so, you know, we 
of course, continue trying. I also have hypothyroidism, um, which causes a lot of um, a lot of issues with trying to get pregnant as well. Um, and throughout continuing to try and get pregnant, um, we found out I also had polycystic ovarian syndrome, um, which caused even more complications. Also, and a lot of women have polycystic ovarian syndrome and can't get pregnant um, with that condition. Um, and then I finally later found out the real issue with my pain issue was that I um, had basically a pelvic syndrome, I guess, where it's not in the right place. So every time we try any intimacy, it causes spasming, which is why I was in so much pain. So um, so we basically started some different therapies for that. Um, but up to this day, we have never had a positive pregnancy test, never been able to get pregnant on our own. So, um, and so that's been like 18 years of a journey of trying to get pregnant. So that's kind of my, the short version of my story. Okay. Well, Amanda's already had to run off with a baby for a minute because she's all upset about something. And I, I wish she was still here because me and her have talked about this over the years. She has educated me so much on the things that a young, dumb guy does not understand. Okay. (laughs) Because let's just put this real simple. When, when our son Austin was born, I had plans. Like when I started putting the numbers together at 41 years old, I was going to be, have my youngest kid out of the house at 41. We were going to be early empty nesters real early. We were going to have all this time and this money and all this. And I'm just going to say that 41 year old thing happened like three years ago. And I still have like five kids in my house. So it didn't all work (laughs) out the way I thought I had it, you know, just, just, if you want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans, right? And and he laughed and he laughed and he laughed. So that was kind of the way that I saw how, how that meant after she had to have a partial hysterectomy. And it took her quite a few years to really fully explain this to me because I'm a guy and I'm not very smart when it comes to these sorts of things. And my wife explained to me how very much a part of her identity being able to have children was and how it was so impactful to her. Can you talk about that a little bit for your journey? Oh yeah, it definitely, um, it impacts how you see yourself um, because, you know, you're ingrained in a young age that women have children. That's how you build your family. And for me, I, I mean, since I was young, I always knew I wanted to be a mom. Um, I wanted to have birth kids, but I also wanted to adopt. And I always knew that was a part of my story. Um, So when we couldn't get pregnant. It was detrimental for me because this is what I always knew I was supposed to do. And now I can't. So it made me feel less of a woman because I couldn't do the thing that I was designed to be able to do. So it really, it really destroyed me for quite a long time. And I had a really hard time moving past that to even want to keep trying. So yeah, that's definitely true. Okay. Yeah. That that's, and for any guys out there listening, I know a large portion of our audience is female, but for the guys who are listening, please listen to what Shannon's saying there, because I don't think you can overstate the importance of of how that makes you feel like less of a woman. Yeah. Because I, I, I can't even explain it well at all. All I can say is as a man, you know, the, the closest comparison I think would be dealing with maybe ED or something. It's it just it, it's a very, very deep um, emotional part of who you are as a person and affects how you see yourself and your own self-worth. Yeah. And I've seen it, um, 
I've been involved with many people that have infertility and, you know, a good portion of people with infertility, it's um, on the male side and it's not from the female. And for the man, it feels, makes them feel like less of a man if they can't give their wife a child. So um, it, it kind of can go both ways for sure. You know, and I'm no scientist here, um, but I put, play one on a podcast occasionally. And uh, I, I wonder how much of, of that goes back to that that whole um, biological instinct to just build your community and be able to to continue your own legacy on through your life. And I wonder mm-hmm. how much of that how much of that is just something that's ingrained in us in ways that we'll probably never truly fully understand. I don't know that science will get far enough to understand that part of the human psyche. Um, before we we bring this all crashing down around our ears, because as humans in culture, I think we're we're trying a little harder than we ought to to get to the end of that culture thing right now. But we'll we'll see how the world turns. <laughs> um, you know, so you and your husband, you know, like what three four years in, just decided you wanted to adopt, right? Well, actually, it wasn't three or four years in. So kind of how it happened is about three years ago. Um, so this would have been like 15 years of marriage. Um, we had the, we were about to move from Atlanta, Georgia to Tallahassee, Florida. We were like a week out from our move. And my husband's aunt called and said, my daughter had a baby and she just got put into foster care. Can you either foster or adopt her? Cause they were trying to find a family connection for her. And we were just like, this is like the craziest timing. We're moving out of the area in a week. Um, So we started this whole process dealing with the Georgia system, trying to see if we could foster her or adopt her. We couldn't foster her because now we lived out of state, but we came for like monthly, this went on for like five or six months. We did monthly visits to Atlanta to see the baby, also catch up on the case. We did our home study um, so that they could start the process um, with us. She was in a, um, an amazing foster home. She had a lot of medical issues. Um, and so ultimately they decided they were going to have the foster parents adopt because of all the medical issues she had. It was going to be better to keep her where she was with all her doctors and, and all her care there. Um, and since we had only been halfway, we had done most of the work, we'd already done our home study and we had, um, years before we had actually taken foster care classes in Atlanta and just not like, you know, pulled the trigger at that time. So, um, so once we had, you know, now we're in Florida, we've already done the home study. All we have to do is take the four weeks of classes and then we can become licensed. So we did, we just pulled that trigger, took the classes. So that was, um, March of 2019. So I became licensed. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So what about that time in the interim between coming to the, to the realization that, that this probably isn't going to happen anytime real soon uh, as far as having biological kids and having that, that first opportunity, what what was that like for you guys' relationship? Um, you know, anytime that you realize it's not going to happen for you the way that you expected, you have this, it's like you were talking about, you have this plan of how things are going to look and they don't look that way. And I mean, I knew our plan wasn't looking the way it wasn't looking, you know, 10 years before that, but, it really was becoming real. You know, once you pass 15 years, you're like, okay, this is not happening the way that we imagined. And it, you know, it's heartbreaking because we wanted to have kids that we birthed, but I also knew that adoption was a part of my story somewhere. 
And even when we took the classes, we weren't even sure whether we were going to go foster care or adoption, because I know that, you know, adoption can happen in foster care, so it could come either way. So, you know, it just, we just came to this realization, this is the way that our family's going to have to be built. It was, you know, over years that we were mourning the loss of things not happening the way we envisioned that they would happen. And I specifically went through a period of like probably two years in the middle of our journey where I was severely depressed. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't want to talk to anybody. And I ended up thankfully being able to go. My husband made a way for me to go to a women's infertility retreat in Tennessee. And it really started me on the process of starting to deal with a lot of the pain I had been dealing with um, and learn how to process it. So um, that was really helpful for me. And um, my, my husband and I have really close friends that we've made over the last five years and they deal with infertility. So he's really had that outlet through the husband. So it, it's really how we've learned to kind of deal with this is where we're headed now. Well, yeah, because it's extremely difficult for women. I mean, it, it's difficult for men dealing with infertility too, but as society as a whole, you know, we're women, we're expected to bear children. You know, that's yeah. supposed to be one of our, our goals. And when, you know, when that doesn't happen, <clears throat> it can leave you feeling really inadequate. You know, how, how did you deal with, with that? Okay, citizens of Foster Care Nation, we want to hear from you. We want to hear any stories that you'd like to share with us, anything that might be funny, inspiring, touching, heartfelt, all of those things. That's what people love to hear. So why don't you send us some of your stories? You can reach us at our voicemail line at 413-FOSTER-3. Again, that's 413-FOSTER-3. Now, we're going to assume that if there's any privacy rules that you need to follow, you've already followed them and changed any names that need to be changed because we will play some of this on the air. We look forward to hearing from you. Now, this voicemail has a limit of about, I think, 10 or 15 minutes. So anything longer than that, just contact me at jason at fostercarenation.com and we can sit down and talk about your whole story. Um, you know, I just, I think, I don't know that I, you really deal with it. You, you know, that this is a failure. You feel like you're a failure. I totally felt like a failure. Um, and you know, I had to come to the realization, this isn't my fault. I didn't do anything wrong. You know, this is what, there's something wrong with my body and I just have to deal with the fact that there's something wrong and figure out how to move forward, um, what to do next. And so, um, when, when I really started to come to that realization was after I had attended this retreat, I had just found a, a women's support group in my city. So I started going to that group and I eventually ended up launching my own uh, infertility ministry um, and led a support group for women in Atlanta for about a year. Um, so that was really how I, I decided how I'm best going to move forward is to help others move forward too. Like if we can do this together, it'll be easier. So that's really how I kind of process through it, I think. Well, for me as a guy and for women out there who may be going through it as well, what what does that look like? What does support look like through that for you? Um, having people to talk to when something happens in your journey um, that understand it. Because there's lots of people in my life that love me but they say the stupidest things 
thinking that they're helping when really it just hurts. And they have the best intentions, but they don't know what to say. So they're just trying to say anything to help you. Whereas people that are walking somewhat of the same journey, they they know exactly what those triggers are and they know how to just be a listening ear and know, and know like be able to say, yeah, that really just sucks. You shouldn't have to deal with that. And I'm so sorry that you do. Or like one of the really big struggles that especially women have in this journey is when they find out somebody that they care about gets pregnant. That's a trigger for them. Um, especially for me, it was because um, both of my sisters got pregnant before I did and I'm older than them. And um, so it was a real struggle for me that they both were pregnant. I'm four and six years older than them. They both have kids. So even when we start our foster journey, I mean, I'm having toddlers in the house and they have kids that are eight and nine. So um, it was a big, a big, really hard thing for me to learn how to deal with that. And that's where having a community of women that have been through infertility themselves became really powerful because one, we, we learned to listen to each other, be able to allow each other to rant and rave when we really needed someone to be a listening ear. But um, my support group that I ran was a faith-based support group. So we also went through like different um, books and we kind of just talked through different things to help us learn how to navigate what we were feeling. So yeah, that was really huge um, for me. It's just that outlet and knowing that you could tell somebody that knows what you're going through, not just it's going to think they know what you're going through. Well, I'd really like to jump into a conversation about your your ministry that you have going. But first, I have to ask this question, because for mm -hmm. all the guys out there, for all the husbands whose wives are dealing with an infertility journey, for anybody who has a friend who's going through it, what are the stupid things that people say that we just need to shut up and, and mind our own business? Um, just relax. It'll happen. Um, God has a plan. Um, you could have my kids. Things like that, like and the, a lot of it is uh, they meanwhile, like just relax. Everybody says that or you can just adopt, not realizing that, yes, I can adopt. But one adoption can be expensive if you go the private route. Um, and maybe that's not where I feel like I'm supposed to be. So I think people have really good intentions. They just don't understand um, fully to be able to say the right things. But those are like the number one things I've heard. And most of them come from my family. <laughs> yeah, family has the ability to say some hurtful things, don't we? Yeah. Well, you know, and I, I, you know, some people aren't able to get their family to understand. But over the, towards the last probably six, eight years of my journey, I actually, I, a lot of times would just let comments slide. I'm like, they don't know, just leave it alone. But I actually started educating my family and saying, I know you totally mean well, but when you say this, this is how that feels for me. If you want to help me, this is how you can help me. So that became really important for me. And it had, it helped a lot with my family. Well, and I mean, this journey is so isolating. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, before I found the support community, I was totally, totally alone and nobody, nobody, I knew that there was people that had dealt with infertility. I didn't know anyone. And specifically, I never heard of anybody that had one of the conditions I have. And I still have found no one that has the same condition. So when you're already dealing with something that, you know, only only one in four women have miscarriage and only one in eight women 
deal with infertility. So when you take that small amount, when you're around people, you know that you're probably one of the only people in the room dealing with it, which makes you feel totally alone. That feeling alone part, that's got to be one of the harder pieces because when you're handed a journey that most people don't walk, most people have no clue about what it is, and then finding that community around you, um, that that's I can only imagine how difficult that is because we've been through some things that are rare to for people to deal with, and that's always been so super hard. So, as, as you dealt with that and you you built your own your own ministry around this and support groups, like what led you to do that? Number one, we all deal with imposter syndrome. Who am I to do this? So, what made you feel like you could you could create this thing, and and how did you do that? Um. Well, honestly, so I went to this women's retreat that I was telling you about. Um, and it, and it was faith-based and, um, while I was there, I just, I just felt like I was supposed to, to start my own support group and ministry. Um, even though I felt like I was supposed to do it, I fought it. Like when I came back home, I was like, no, I'm not doing this. I need people to help me. I'm not helping others right now. And that's seriously how I felt. And, um, it probably like, and, and the, but the thought just would never leave. Like I still felt like I was supposed to do it, even though I was fighting it. And so, um, so then I just started talking to various people. I was, um, at the time I was working for my church in Atlanta and I started talking to one of the pastors. I started talking to a friend that's a web designer, started talking to a graphic designer. And I, I literally had the church saying, yeah, we'll help you run your support group. And then I had the web designer saying, I'll create your website for you. And then the graphic designer, I'll create your brand for you. Like, so I literally had like, all these things were happening that I wasn't, I wasn't even asking for help. I was just telling them, okay, I feel like I'm supposed to do this and I'm not sure that I want to. And people just started saying, yeah, I'll support it. And so I was like, okay, well, I guess that means I need to do this thing. And so I, I literally just started pulling pieces together um, to launch it. And my, my church promoted it. So my first group that I had was through my church. And I had like, I think six women in the group. And it's also where I met my best friend that was dealing with infertility um, and where we connected. So it built kind of a lifelong friendship out of that too. So yeah, that's, I never felt equipped, but I just knew that I needed to do it. Well, I mean, it, it sounds like it, you know, you, you just said, you know, I, I need help for me. I, I don't, I can't help other people right now, but I, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but just from listening to you by creating the group that you did, you did create help for yourself and support. I did. Yeah. I didn't think I would, that would happen. Like I honestly, when I went into it, I'm like, I just feel like I'm supposed to do this thing to help other women. And as I was helping them, I was finding help for myself because hearing from them and helping them, they were also pouring into me and helping me. It was just, it was a circle for each other. So yeah, it totally helped me tenfold. <laughs> as i hear that the only thing going through my head is the circle of life song from from lion king so <laughs> i'm sorry you'll have to excuse my crazy head amanda's used to it because that's what i do i sing random song lyrics that don't make any sense for what she just said <laughs> a lot of times he gets the wrong. i always get the lyrics wrong <laughs> that's me so, so you you created this this ministry this group this ministry um at your church what does that, what does that look like today? Are you still running that same group? 
Um, no, I'm in, I'm in a different city. When I came to the city I'm in, I, um, I actually partnered with another ministry called Sarah's Laughter um, for about a year. And we kind of co-led a group. Um, and then the pandemic hit. So it just kind of halted. And I became a foster parent at the same time the pandemic hit. So my world became like crazy. So um, it kind of has been put on pause right now. I'm actually um, looking at possibly doing a like a virtual digital membership um, to where I could, you know, do like online support group, that kind of thing. Um, I haven't launched that yet, but that's something that um, I'm currently looking at. So, yeah, it's different than what it looked like before, for sure. Oh, yeah. A, a friend of mine runs a dad's group that he has turned to an online membership sort of thing. And there's there's definitely I yeah. because I'm part of leadership in that group. Now, I'll tell you, there's a lot of power in that. So I hope you do you do follow that that pathway. But you mentioned that, you know, you stepped into foster care as pandemic stuff hit our world. And God knows, yeah. like, I don't know about anybody <laughs> else, but my world has been a little bit crazy. Maybe a lot. And when we first started fostering kids, um. Our world went a little bit crazy. I can't imagine sandwiching those two things together. What's that been like for you? <laughs> um, extremely hard because, you know, like we talked about how infertility is very isolating and foster care can be the same, especially when you got when you mix a pandemic in with it. Because before the pandemic hit, my understanding is in our area, they actually had like these, I think it was weekly or monthly, um, they called them Tafapa meetings. Um, for the foster parents in our community. And so they would have training, but it's also a way that they built community with the other foster parents. So they canceled that as soon as the pandemic hit. So they stopped having them. So I literally came in and I knew no other foster parents. Um, and, you know, our world was already shutting down. So even the people we did know, we had no exposure to. And we had just, I don't know, less than a year before that had just moved to the area we live in. So I haven't even had a chance to build my own community outside of foster care. So it was very isolating because I was dealing with something I'd never done. I was in a new area where I had never been. Um, so it was really hard in the beginning. Thankfully, about a year ago, they started doing online community support groups um, with foster parents in our area. And that has helped a lot. And I've started to make a couple of connections with other foster parents. But in the beginning, it was incredibly hard. Oh, I can imagine. I can imagine. Because like I said, for us, it was it was quite the, the experience to step into that. But we did have a, a foster support group in our area at that time. And we became fairly active in it right off the bat. As a matter of fact, for a little while, Amanda was president of that group. And, and that was part of what mm -hmm. we did. You know, And I, we've kind of fallen away from that because our life is just, well, it's gone it's gone in so many directions and spiraled so much that we just did not have a whole lot of time to, to even reach for that community. And not having a community around us has made it really difficult. What does that community do for you on a regular basis? Um, well, you know, one is just, it, it goes back to the infertility support, you know, just having listening ears when things are crazy, either on your case, dealing with the biological parents or your kids' behaviors. Um, it's just be able to, it's nice to be able to reach out to one of the people in the community and be like, I really don't know what to do about this, or I'm really struggling, or I feel really alone. Um, so just being able to talk those things out is number one, um, huge. But I've also had where, like, I had to have um, sinus surgery earlier this year, and I had 
them bringing food for me. Or when we first became foster parents, like we had a week of meals coming for us, or um, we've gotten respite care when we've needed a break because it was challenging. So really those are like the different ways that that community has really stepped up and really helped us. That's really awesome. I would love for somebody to bring us dinner for a week. That's one of, yeah, right. You know, as an adult and as a mom, that's one thing that I, I hate is having to decide what to feed everybody every night. Like we, yep. I could just do cereal, you know, but I have others in the house that, that would not uh, agree with that. Um, <laughs> but tell us a little bit about your home and what is your wheelhouse? Like, um, Jason and I were really good with taking care of drug exposed infants. You know, everybody kind of has their, their spot and, and what's your, you and your husband's spot? Um, well, right now it's, um, little kids, um, you know, being that we dealt with infertility and never had babies of our own. Um, we wanted to start kind of at the beginning. So, um, you know, we wanted to kind of stay in the zero to two realm. Um, and so that, that, uh, now they were zero to two when they came into our home, but now they're two and three. So, um, they keep us on our toes and no, I did not know that I didn't think about the fact they're going to be toddlers at the same time. And that has not been fun, <laughs> but, um, you know, I really wanted the, the little kids and it's really, it is really cool just to see, you know, even though they have been dealing with some different challenges it's cool to see how they how they have grown a little bit over the two years that we've had them okay i want to ask this because when we first started into into foster care it was quite a few years ago a little over a decade ago and one of the things we didn't do a whole lot of at that time was trauma-informed care stuff we didn't understand what a lot of the traumatic behaviors would look like and how to handle that best so are they teaching that now is that something that you've received some training on or, uh, or are you guys struggling? Yeah, we did. Hey there, Foster Care Nation. If you'd like to find yourself in a group with like-minded people, head over to Facebook, and you can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash fostercareuj. We've got a group over there where we talk about foster care, we talk about adoption, and we talk about all the things related. If your podcast player allows it, you can also reach down and hit that subscribe button so you get notified every week when we put up uploads. Every Tuesday, a new episode comes out. We'd love to see you next week. Now back to the show. Well, um, they actually, um, they are teaching it, but we're actually doing an official training in January on TBRI. So, um, so yes, um, and I plan to attend that so that I can get, a lot of that because I remember when I went through the foster care classes, they talked a lot about the trauma that you're going to deal with and then um, how to work through that trauma. But I, you know, you, you think, you know, in your own head, what you're really going to deal with and you make these own assumptions. And, you know, I had my own assumptions of, well, we're going to want babies. They're going to be fine. Like we don't have to worry about that. You know, I totally did that. And, you know, I totally was wrong. Um, so now I am seeing the importance of, the TBRI and why that's important. So um, I am excited to be able to take that training and see what I can learn from it. I mean, that is one thing that has grown leaps and bounds from when Jason and I took our classes is obviously the, you know, they, they tell you trauma and the things that, you know, kids are going through, but there was not supportive, you know, this is what you do. This is how you respond. This is how you redirect. You know, so it, it's really nice to hear that 
that's starting to be addressed because our kids need that so bad. And toddlers, babies, yes, they experience trauma. They may not be able to verbalize it, but it's, it's there. Their body knows the body remembers. And so I'm glad to hear that they're, they're really starting to get on board and, and help out with that. Yeah. One of the nice things that they're doing that they, they started in our area. And I think that I don't think any other area has it, but they have in our area a foster care specialty team. Um, and they're, so, you know, you have the case manager who works with the family then you have the guardian ad litem who, who's focuses the child. And then the foster parent was just kind of like out in the winds, like who do they go to? So they created foster care support specialists um, for us. So we each get an assigned specialist that works with us. So if we have any questions about the case, if we have any questions about how to deal with a behavior, if we need help getting a service, they're our like go-to person, um, which has been awesome. And out of that team, they also have someone that um, special, she's like a behavioral trainer, I guess is what you call her. So she's like the person you call up when you're dealing with something and you're like, I have no idea how to help my kid through this. And then she'll kind of help you through it. And a lot of her training will come through trauma informed care. So, um, those pieces of our area have, I'm so glad that we waited to become foster parents. till we were here. Cause I know in Georgia, they didn't have that. So that's been huge. Yeah, I'm I'm listening to that thinking, man, I wish we had that. We barely have enough um workers to to even kind of handle the caseloads that they're struggling through right now. And uh you know, yeah, doing it as long as we have. We we've made some friends with some of the some of the workers and we know know them fairly well to know that they're struggling with the caseloads they have. Yeah. This it's huge. Day. Yeah. Yeah. Our agency, um, the case management team just changed. I don't know if they changed companies or so they got bought out. I'm not really sure, but they went like, they already had a pretty huge caseload and they got another 10 to 20 cases added to their pile. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh, I was having a hard enough time getting information before. So I could only imagine how hard it's going to be now, but thankfully we have that foster care specialist that can kind of help jump in and try to find the information. So what has this whole journey done, you know, with your relationship with your husband? Because I know that, you know, oftentimes in this journey, we hear stories, we hear foster moms talk or adoptive moms talk. And most of the time, I'm just going to be honest, most guys don't want to stand up and talk about it out loud a whole lot. I'm one of those few that have a hard time closing my mouth. So people just... (laughs) (laughs) That's an understatement. I don't know why (laughs) so much at this, but... (laughs) But yeah, the, the voice of the of, a, of the dads in this gets lost a lot, and and then we tend to hear mom talk about you know these kids, but we don't hear a whole lot about what it does with the relationship between a husband and a wife as you walk through some of these struggles you've never even heard of, let alone dealt with before. Yeah, um, it never has been easy. My um, husband has been amazing because he's very supportive. He's been totally focused on. Um, helping me through most of our journey. Um, but until we met that couple, um, you know, he didn't really have an outlet for himself. You know, he would talk to me, but not a whole lot because guys tend to not like to talk about their feelings as we know. So he would only talk to me a little bit about how he was feeling about infertility or when we went into foster care. So, um, you know, our marriage definitely 
dealt with a lot of impact because we were both struggling and things weren't going the way that we wanted things to be going and feeling depressed and let down by our circumstances. So um, there was definitely a lot of times where we were taking it out on each other, which was not helpful because it's not helping him. It's not helping me. Um, and neither of us is the problem. So um, we just we just had to learn that we weren't the problem and we started coming together more. And my my husband really just whatever I told him I needed something, he tried his best to get me what I needed. Um, whether that was going to a retreat or whether that's I need to be alone or I need a nice big heaping pile of fudge or whatever, you know, whatever that might be to help me, he would do what he could to help me. And when we when we met this couple, what was really cool is that um, the wife came to my support group. And while she was at support group, my husband and her husband went out to dinner. And that was where they had a chance to talk through a lot of the stuff they were dealing with in the journey too. Um, so since, you know, they don't like to open up to others a lot, that was the one area he was okay opening up to him. Um, and it made me feel better knowing he was getting the support and help he needed and we could still be there for each other at the same time. So yeah, that's kind of what it looked like for us, but yeah, it, it's never been easy. Well, first of all, I, I want to say earlier in the story, you know, you said you and your husband have been together for 18 years and I just want to say congratulations. That's really awesome. You. you know, especially, you know, when you've been through the fires of hell, you know, it, it, it's hard to stay connected and it's hard to look at your partner at the end of the day and be like, I still love you, even though I want to rip your head off, you know, so congratulations on 18 yeah. years and I hope for many, many more. Um, but I just, I, I also on. want to point hang out. Hang on, hang on. <laughs> Did she just say she wanted to rip my head off? Is that what I heard? Maybe some days. It's possible. <laughs> I, need I think so. <laughs> but one thing that you touched upon was, that, you know, men don't like to talk. They don't like to share their feelings. They don't like to feel vulnerable. We don't have them. Exactly. My point again. <laughs> But, but that's the big point in this journey, whether it's foster care, adoption, infertility, there is not a whole lot of support for our partners. And that can be yeah. really hard when you're going through your own stuff and you're feeling your own type of way, but when you're also see, seeing your partner struggle. And so I, I can see that being really amazing for you to, you know, finally maybe feel some peace that he has someone to talk to and can relate to. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was huge. Um, and I mean, outside of the fact that it was infertility and us diving into foster care um, outside of that, we never really had um, any good couple friendships. Everything was like single friends here or single friends there. So even in life circumstances, we never really had friends that were in similar life circumstances as us. So when we finally made this connection with this couple, it was huge for our marriage because now we also had like a couple that we could actually hang out with. So we're getting community, but then at the same time, they're also dealing with a lot of the same things we're dealing with so they can relate. And so finding that was huge, especially when I realized that like I was excited that we had this couple friendship. I had no idea that it would turn into my husband and him becoming so incredibly close and being able to talk about the things that, you know, men won't talk about with their wives. 
that was huge. I find it hard to believe that there's anything that we won't talk about with, with our wives. Come on now. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, I want to speak to that for just a quick minute, though, in all honesty, that the importance of, of dads finding that, you know, for all any guys out there listening, you know, um, I'll throw a shameless plug in for the group that I'm a part of, uh, the, the Dad Edge podcast. It's run by Larry Hagner. If you find him, he has a, a group. That's actually the hat I'm wearing today is, is his group. I'm, I'm part of the leadership there now. Um, it's a Dad Edge Alliance, and that's been a place where I've found a lot of ability to build community. I was talking with a with a guy this morning who he grew up not necessarily in foster care, but he was in um, oh like a military school type setting because of behavior, very, something very similar. But to be able to talk to other men who who've been through similar things, there's a handful of foster dads in there as well. Um, there is uh, Darren Fink has a group, and I'm going to get it wrong, but I think it's called Foster Dads Unite. And in this world we have that is connected through Zoom and Facebook and every other way where you're not necessarily going to find a whole lot of guys close to you that you can connect with. I mean, honestly, when we had the foster group in our area that we would go to, I was one of um, two or three dads who showed up to that ever and really the only one who showed up consistently. There was never really much room to build any community or relationships there. And it's a super important thing for us to find that. And Zoom and, and Facebook and all these other digital platforms has made that such an such an available option now so that you know men can have that connection. That's something we don't talk about enough because quite frankly, we don't have emotions because if we if we do, we have to deal with them and we don't have the bandwidth for that because we don't have the community around us to tell us, hey, it's okay sometimes to be crazy angry, difficult, sad, you know, to be upset. I mean, guys don't cry, right? Men don't cry. That's well, there's a reason for that because we don't know how to process that, and especially when we don't have that community around us. So I love the re- the, the fact that you guys have found that and you, that your husband has found somebody that he can reach out to and have that community and allow you guys to build that strength in your relationship because 18 years together, it takes a lot. I mean, look at this woman over here. She has dealt with me for, what, 20 years now? A little um, more than that, so- yeah. Austin is turning 21 this month. Yeah, so, so a little before that. Yeah, so a little over 22 years uh, I've, I've put up with you. And, <laughs> and I did both of that without any support. And that, that caused us some struggles coming through this, especially through the foster process as well. Well, and, and you really needed that support after, after the birth of our son and I couldn't have any more children. That affected me very strongly even though i i had birthed two children the thought of not being able to do that anymore was very devastating to me i always knew that i wanted to have lots of kids big family that that was just always my thing and as soon as i couldn't the depression was deep and it was real and then on top of that with the surgeries the hormone imbalances i mean I, I really put him through the ringer, you know, so as much as he likes to say, oh, you know, she puts up with me. Well, we put up with each other and there wasn't support groups back then. I, that was over 20 years ago. We're old mental health. You didn't talk about mental health back then, you know, and so the world is a completely different place now. Yeah, because even my I have a family, my husband has a family member that I found out after, you know, going through fertility for 10 years, she finally told me that she dealt with infertility and that they had to do IVF. And I was like, I was over here suffering for 10 years thinking I was the only one and I'm completely alone. And 
And it's because in her generation, you didn't talk about that. And so it's changed a lot in the last probably five to 10 years. Um, Cause now there's even in like an Instagram community where people with infertility will create separate accounts and talk about their infertility journey. And all these people that are dealing with infertility are building a community on Instagram. And I found a lot of that when I started my ministry as I was finding all these people with infertility. And it's really how I built my um, social media presence was reaching out to these people and helping support them through it. But yeah, they didn't, you didn't talk about it back then. And to me, it's crazy because I'm a totally open book. Um, once I dealt with a lot of it, um, I became a real open book about my journey. So it's, to me, it's unfathomable that nobody would ever talk about it, but you just didn't back then. Yeah. It's amazing how far we've come in this world. I know that you said you have, you have a website, embracebravery.com, right? Yep. Yep. Is that the easiest way for people to find you and your book and, and your support group and all that stuff about you? Yeah. Um, on, on my website, um, I have a blog on there um, and my information about my book is on there and my social media information is all on there as well. So um, yes, that is the best way to reach me. Good deal. Yeah. Cause I think that's something that for anybody who's dealing with these things, finding good, healthy places to reach out, it was super helpful because, you know, men in community is something that we need to create and, and women in community as well. And couples who, who struggle through this, that's, that's a whole different ball game there as well to learn to deal with that as a couple. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why finding more men's support groups, both in foster care and infertility is so important because they're not only trying to figure out how to navigate their own feelings, but they have to help their spouse or their partner through what they're dealing with. So that's, I feel like it's really important for men to have that support too. Well, again, I'm going to say us men, we don't need any support because we can just, you know, we're just a big, strong ones who can walk right through it. We don't deal with the emotions, right? <laughs> yeah. Anyway. say <laughs> <laughs> that. Well, you know, sometimes <laughs> I try to tell you I'm funny and you always tell me I'm not. No, I usually say you're hey, that that is similar in my relationship, too. <laughs> it, it's good to know that we, we, we all fight the same battles. <laughs> yeah. So, well, Shannon, your, your story is one that people don't oftentimes talk about out loud. And, and it's coming around a culture today where where people are much more willing to talk about their journeys of things like infertility and, and the depression and the mental health that comes with it. And then as well as, as talking about the struggles inside of foster care and or adoption, because there's just so much of it there. And we've been so ingrained by previous generations to not talk about it. And I love that you are, you're stepping out into the world and you're saying, here's my story and I'm struggling, you know, or I struggled through this or that and creating that, that, support around you to be able to have humans all get together and work together to get to a, a to a place where we can all uh, do the things that we're inspired to do as opposed to to just being sitting in our own pain and misery and and mental struggles well thank you so much for your time today I, I really do appreciate you telling your story here um, you know I want to make sure that we we do um, we're gonna leave a link on our on our website. So if you go to fosterCareNation.com, one of the tabs up there says book resources, and there will be an Amazon link there to Shannon's book because 
you guys need to find that one. So we're going to throw it up there and make sure you can grab it and read it. Is it on Audible? Uh, no, it's just Amazon right now. Okay. Do you have any plans for doing an audiobook version? I'm not sure. I haven't really thought through that. I mean, we talked about it in the beginning stages, but it just never materialized. Okay. I asked because I know there's a lot of people out there like me who who have ridiculously busy lives but spend way too much time like on the road. listen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have probably at this point in my life listened to almost as many books as I've actually sat and read because I can get them faster that way <laughs> while I'm doing exciting things like driving down the road or or mowing the grass. Not that I not that I spend too much time mowing <laughs> grass. But, I, yeah. I was gonna say I don't know if you can take credit for mowing grass this year. Yeah, no, our partner actually decided she wanted to make some money this year, and she decided to mow the grass this last summer, and she did it about 60% of the time. Um, I'm going to say I did 60, she did 40. Okay. <laughs> the women <laughs> but, in my life have taken over mowing the yard, so I guess it's a little less time to listen to Audible, but I spent a lot of time with my job, and so being able to hear these messages and hear these yeah. stories and encouragements as you're doing some of the more mundane tasks of life has been very beneficial to me. So if um, if we do see it out there, we'll make certain that we, we mention that as well because I just love the audiobook format for busy people like me. But I, yeah. I love the fact that you've been so open and vulnerable and honest with your story and a story that most people don't feel comfortable telling. Yeah, I think it's important for everyone to know that they're not alone. So I wanted to make sure I shared my story so anybody could feel like they're not alone. Yeah, absolutely. And please reach back out to us. If you start another support group or, or anything like that, please reach back out to us. We would love to be able yeah. to share that with everybody. You know, that's one of the main, main reasons for our platform is just to help build that community. So, you know, another book or we'll support do. group or anything, please just reach back out to us and we would love we'll to help, help promote that for you. Thanks so much. Okay, Foster. Okay, Foster Care Nation. Thank you for listening to Shannon's story. Now take her knowledge and wisdom to heart so you can create love and healing in your family and community. Be sure to come back next week. We have new episodes every Tuesday. If you'd like to share your story as a guest, you can reach us at Jason at FosterCareNation.com. You can connect with other like-minded people on Facebook at Facebook.com slash groups slash FosterCareUJ. Don't forget, we have an account over at buymeacoffee.com. It's like a virtual tip jar where you can help us fund our mission for as little or as much as you want. It's at buymeacoffee.com slash fostercare. The links to everything are in the show notes on your podcast player or at fostercarenation.com. And as always, you are so super awesome. I thank you guys. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Unparalleled Studios. Studios.